Chapter 11 of Kilmeny of the Orchard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Kilmeny of the Orchard by L. M. Montgomery. Chapter 11 A Lover and His Lass. Read by Chloe Winters, February 2008. Kilmeny was in the orchard when Eric reached it, and he lingered for a moment in the shadow of the spruce wood to dream over her beauty. The orchard had lately overflowed in waves of old-fashioned caraway, and she was standing in the midst of its sea of bloom, with the lace-like blossoms swaying around her in the wind. She wore the simple dress of pale blue print in which he had first seen her. Silk attire could not better have become her loveliness. She had woven herself a chaplet of half-open white rosebuds and placed it on her dark hair where the delicate blossoms seemed less wonderful than her face. When Eric stepped through the gap, she ran to meet him with outstretched hands, smiling. He took her hands and looked into her eyes with an expression before which hers, for the first time, faltered. She looked down, and a warm blush stained the ivory curves of her cheek and throat. His heart bounded, for in that blush he recognized the banner of love's vanguard. "'Are you glad to see me, Kilmeny?' he asked in a low, significant tone. She nodded, and wrote in a somewhat embarrassed fashion, "'Yes. Why do you ask? You know I am always glad to see you. I was afraid you would not come. You did not come last night, and I was so sorry. Nothing in the orchard seemed nice any longer. I couldn't even play. I tried to, and my violin only cried. I waited until it was dark, and then I went home. "'I'm sorry you were disappointed, Gilmany. I couldn't come last night. Some day I shall tell you why.' I stayed home to learn a new lesson. I am sorry you missed me. No, I'm glad. Can you understand how a person may be glad and sorry for the same thing? She nodded again, with a return of her usual sweet composure. Yes, I could not have understood once, but I can now. Did you learn your new lesson? Yes, very thoroughly. It was a delightful lesson when I once understood it. I must try to teach it to you some day. "'Come over to the old bench, Kilmeny. There is something I want to say to you. But first, will you give me a rose?' She ran to the bush, and after careful deliberation, selected a perfect half-open bud and brought it to him, a white bud with a faint sunrise flush about its golden heart. "'Thank you. It is as beautiful as—as as a woman I know,' Eric said. A wistful look came into her face at his words, and she walked with a drooping head across the orchard to the bench. Kilmeny he said seriously. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I want you to take me home with you and introduce me to your uncle and aunt. She lifted her head and stared at him incredulously, as if he had asked her to do something wildly impossible. Understanding from his grave face that he meant what he said, a look of dismay dawned in her eyes. She shook her head almost violently and seemed to be making a passionate, instinctive effort to speak. Then she caught up her pencil and wrote with feverish haste. "'I cannot do that. Do not ask me to. You do not understand. They would be very angry. They do not want to see anyone coming to the house, and they would never let me come here again. Oh, you do not mean it!' He pitied her for the pain and bewilderment in her eyes, but he took her slender hands in his and said firmly, "'Yes, Kilmeny, I do mean it.' It is not quite right for us to be meeting each other here as we have been doing, without the knowledge and consent of your friends. You cannot now understand this, but, believe me, it is so. She looked questioningly, pityingly, into his eyes, 
What she read there seemed to convince her, for she turned very pale and an expression of hopelessness came into her face. Releasing her hands, she wrote slowly, "'If you say it is wrong, I must believe it. I did not know anything so pleasant could be wrong. But if it is wrong, we must not meet here any more. Mother told me I must never do anything that was wrong, but I did not know this was wrong.' It was not wrong for you, Kilmany, but it was a little wrong for me, because I knew better, or rather should have known better. I didn't stop to think, as the children say. Some day you will understand fully. Now, you will take me to your uncle and aunt, and after I have said to them what I want to say, it will be all right for us to meet here or anywhere. She shook her head. No, she wrote. Uncle Thomas and Aunt Janet will tell you to go away and never come back, and they will never let me come here any more. Since it is not right to meet you, I will not come. But it is no use to think of going to them. I did not tell them about you because I knew that they would forbid me to see you. But I am sorry, since it is so wrong. You must take me to them, said Eric firmly. I am quite sure that things will not be as you fear when they hear what I have to say. Uncomforted, she wrote forlornly. I must do it since you insist. But I am sure it will be no use. I cannot take you tonight because they are away. They went to the store at Radnor. But I will take you tomorrow night, and after that I shall not see you any more. Two great tears brimmed over in her big blue eyes and splashed down on her slate. Her lips quivered like a hurt child's. Eric put his arm impulsively about her and drew her head down upon his shoulder. As she cried there, softly, miserably, he pressed his lips to the silky black hair with its coronal of rosebuds. He did not see two burning eyes which were looking at him over the old fence, behind him, with hatred and mad passion blazing in their depths. Neil Gordon was crouched there, with clenched hands and heaving breast, watching them. "'Kilmany, dear, don't cry,' said Eric tenderly. "'You shall see me again, I promise you that, whatever happens. I do not think your uncle and aunt will be as unreasonable as you fear, but even if they are, they shall not prevent me from meeting you somehow.' Kilmany lifted her head and wiped the tears from her eyes. "'You do not know what they are like,' she wrote. "'They will lock me into my room. That is the way they always punished me when I was a little girl. And once, not so very long ago, when I was a big girl, they did it.' "'If they do, I'll get you out somehow,' said Eric, laughing a little. She allowed herself to smile, but it was a rather forlorn little effort. She did not cry any more, but her spirits did not come back to her. Eric talked gaily, but she only listened in a pensive, absent way, as if she scarcely heard him. When he asked her to play, she shook her head. "'I cannot think any music to-night,' she wrote. "'I must go home, for my head aches and I feel very stupid.' "'Very well, Kilmany. Now don't worry, little girl, it will all come out all right.' Evidently she did not share his confidence, for her head drooped again as they walked together across the orchard. At the entrance of the wild cherry lane she paused and looked at him half reproachfully, her eyes filling again. She seemed to be bidding him a mute farewell. With an impulse of tenderness which he could not control, Eric put his arm around her and kissed her red trembling mouth. She started back with a little cry. A burning color swept over her face, and the next moment she fled swiftly up the darkening lane. The sweetness of that involuntary kiss clung to Eric's lips as he went homeward, half intoxicating him. He knew that it had opened the gates of womanhood to Kilmany. Never again, he felt, would her eyes meet his with their old unclouded frankness. When next he looked into them, he knew that he should see there the consciousness of his kiss. Behind her, in the orchard that night, 
Kilmeny had left her childhood. End of chapter 11 of Kilmeny of the Orchard by L. M. Montgomery Read by Chloe Winters, February 2008